This episode is sponsored by DreamHost, web hosting with purpose. Visit dreamhost.com forward slash Climify to sign up for a hosting plan today. I'm Eric Benson, the host of Climify, and I've been a satisfied DreamHost user since 2006. And I'm not the only one who enjoys DreamHost. They are PC Mag's Editor's Choice winner five years in a row. I use DreamHost because they're affordable. They care about the planet, they're easy to use, and have fantastic customer service. In fact, it's 24-7. I can't tell you how many times I've messed up the back end of my WordPress site, only to be saved by a DreamHost technician within the next 15 minutes or less. They're always available on chat. They send me links to tutorials, but most often just fix the site themselves, and then voila, it's back up within a few minutes. DreamHost customer service is seriously the best. Because I care about the planet, I also want a hosting service that does too. DreamHost has improved on their corporate sustainability since I joined up 16 years ago. Currently, they get their electricity from renewable sources, use high efficiency cooling infrastructure, utilize power efficient processors, and partner with in-state clean wind programs. I also love how DreamHost is employee-owned and have office sustainability initiatives. DreamHost is committed to their employees and to their customers. Plus, their affiliate program is really cool. You can earn $15 to $200 in commission just for referring a friend who sets up a new account. Even better, DreamHost has no limits on how many people you refer to the program. To sign up as a DreamHost affiliate, go to dreamhost.com forward slash affiliates. That's dreamhost.com forward slash affiliates. And just click the sign up today button. And if you want to learn more about their sustainability initiatives, head to dreamhost.com and click on the green hosting link on the bottom. Welcome to Climify, the podcast that connects climate scientists and design educators together so that we can help combat our climate crisis in our classrooms. The discussions on this program are geared to help you climify your syllabi to assign projects that not only teach design fundamentals, but also can have a positive impact on our climate. My name is John Jennings. I am a professor of media and cultural studies at the University of California at Riverside. I'm also an award-winning graphic novelist, uh, graphic novel curator, and design theorist. And I'm um, happy to be here to talk about climate change, comics, and all the things in between. John worked with me during my first six years at the University of Illinois. We shared an office, and we shared a martini or beer after work. We talked design, race, justice, comics, and life. He was the main reason why I took the job here. And he was my mentor and support system as we both navigated the promotion and tenure path. He taught me how to be comfortable with my uncomfortableness discussing race. And together we created the first design ethics course called EDGE at the University of Illinois. That class connected issues of racial inequality with climate justice. It's now a required course, and we smile about that quite often. I thought of John for this episode, as prior in season two, we talked about storytelling. And I know from John how good comics are 
and telling stories about controversial or challenging issues. Take the 1991 Pulitzer Prize winning graphic novel Mouse by Art Spiegelman for an example. There, Art interviewed his father who survived the Holocaust and told his story in comic form where animals played the part of humans, reminiscent of Orwell's Animal Farm. Or, for example, take John and Damian Duffy's Hugo Award-winning adaption of Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower, where her commentary on climate change and social inequality are told through comic form. My conversation today with John was fun and educational as they always are. I hope you enjoy it. John Jennings, welcome to Climify. Uh, it took took a while, a lot of emails, text messages, but you finally found some time for me. So thank you. I don't. Yeah, you're welcome. Like, wow, why does it sound like that? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> like, yeah, but it, it was a very busy, very busy summer, and that's good. I mean, busy in a good way. But yeah, but I'm, I'm very happy to be able to do this. Yeah, we've been trying to. It's now f- almost fall, and September time frame, and we've been talking since probably June. Uh, apparently you've had other TV gigs to do. You've been telling me before we started to record. Yes. So I, I, f- I feel like you're going to be, this is going to be easy for you to be on a podcast. If what well, you've been on, um, Disney plus. Yes. And now you're going to be on shutter. Yes. And then also I've been on AMC as well. AMC. And, and a couple other places too, but yeah, but it's, as a, as a talking head pundit or whatever subject, you know, right. There into yeah. you have the voice and the look, so you're not just like me behind the microphone. You're you're in front of the camera, but you got the voice and the look too. You know what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I, I know John. John and I um, taught together um, at the University of Illinois, where where I still am. Uh, we were office mates many many moons ago, and uh, John was uh, my mentor when uh, I was first starting out uh in academia so i know i've said that to be to you before john thank you for helping me along the way well well, of course i mean you're one person so (laughs) and also too i mean i think the work that you were doing and have been doing is is vital to um not only like the future of design, but the future of literally like the future of the world. Future <laughs> you boss, know? right? Right. Like, literally, <laughs> the future of the world. Hey, so no, well, I appreciate that. Same also, to you as well. Same to well, you, thank you as well. Thank you. Well, John, I haven't seen you. I think even though we we taught together, we you moved on to uh, Buffalo, right? You moved off from Illinois to Buffalo, uh, SUNY Buffalo, and then off to Riverside, California, where you are now. I don't think we've seen each other since uh, pre-pandemic times, likely 2019. Uh, I think we were at WonderCon in Anaheim, California. Was that WonderCon? Oh, yeah, I guess it was WonderCon. Huh. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that was the last time. That's actually pretty recent considering like, you know. Considering, right. We lived, you know, we're still like at the tail end of a play, you know. <laughs> so it's yeah, like, we, we are, right? And we're still managing. Still managing, exactly. Yeah, so that's pretty recent, you know, because some people I haven't seen in like, decade you know so oh, man. anyway but yeah I, was, I feel special then i guess you you are wonderful so yeah <laughs> um so so yeah that was about the last time you know and yeah. uh, it, it was a great time at one time you know? mm-hmm. yeah. a lot of comics and we're here to talk about comics today as a form of storytelling and the work that you do 
Uh, how did you get to working in comics and, and, and why? You know, so um, just a little bit of backstory. I mean, I've always been a massive fan of comics since like, since I was a kid, right? So uh, my mother actually gave me my first comics, you know, she was, oh. yeah, yeah. She was really into the fact that I loved reading so much. And then, um, so I actually had like, I mean, I started reading like mythology and like horror and stuff like that, like super early. Do you <laughs> remember the first comic she gave you? The first comics that she gave me were probably stuff like the Mighty Thor. I remember the oh, Mighty wow. Thor, some Superman stuff, uh, some Sp- like Spider-Man, of course, and Fantastic Four. So, but also I was reading stuff like Casper the Friendly Ghost and like <laughs> Disney comics and Archie. You know, I just read anything that looked like a comic, but I think I gravitated towards superhero comics because I was reading so much like mythology and mm-hmm. I saw like... I saw like the mirror image of say like the mighty Thor and like the Norse mythology that I was reading in like the classical mythology books, but then, you know, Stanley and Jack Kirby's version, you know, um, with the, you know, the, it's kind of like the jazzed up 1960s version of, of you know, of, uh, of the mighty Thor. So I think that's yeah. actually led me to start reading a lot of comics and stuff. So then, um, you know, I think when I was around the age of 12 or 13, maybe, maybe 12, I realized that, you know, making comics was a job. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, because I started looking at all the comics and I see people's names pop up all the time. And I was like, wait a minute, you know, these people are making these things and they look like they make a lot of them. And it seems like this is pretty hard. I mean, I could tell, like, I, I can't do this. So this is a job. And yeah. I realized that people who have jobs get paid money. So mm. that's kind of, I was like, oh, this is a job of some kind. So then I said to my grandmother, I was like, oh, I want to be a comic book artist. And you know, at the time you would have to move to New York, you know. <laughs> You're right, right. Yeah, to move to New York, you know, because everything was and so I was like, Yeah, I want to move to New York when I'm when I'm grown up and I want to be a comic book artist. And, and you were in Mississippi, grandma, right? I was in Mississippi. I grew right. up in I grew up in um you know, post civil rights era Mississippi. I was born mm. in like seventy. And uh, you know, and I came up um uh well pretty poor, actually. I mean not to I, I was gonna try to try to shit a couple, but no, we you know, I was I mm. came up pretty poor uh in Miss in the middle mm. of Mississippi. And, um, you know, grew up, grew up with my grandparents and stuff. So my grandmother like flipped out when I said I wanted to move to New York. Right. You, you got to be a doctor, John. She, well, <laughs> not only that, but she didn't want me to move that far away. She was like, that's far. Yeah. You know, she, she had never been in New York, but she knew it was like not where we were. <laughs> you know what right. I'm saying? Big, big buildings. Big buildings. And such. Yeah. So she was like, you know, uh, distraught. And so, of course, I lied to her and said that I was kidding. You know what I'm saying? But in my heart, <laughs> in my heart, I'm like, I'm definitely moving. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And so, um, I don't know, lo and behold, like many years later, uh, I ended up being an art major at at, at, uh, Jackson State University. And I was doing cartoons for the school newspaper. I kind of fell in. After that, I got a job working with the Clarion Ledger, and I'm still doing cartoons and infographics and stuff. And I always had like a really uh, affinity for comics, right? And then, um, but I realized like the stuff that I was making didn't really look like the things that I was reading, you know? I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, so I was like, yeah, well, Maybe I won't be a card. I won't work for Marvel, but I'll keep drawing. But I'll be a graphic designer. So they say so they weren't like superhero comics that you were. But it was superheroes. It's just that my style was more caricature like. Like I had, you know, I have a, like my style was like way more informed by like fine art than a lot mm-hmm. of other people's styles. You know, and so I just didn't see myself. I, I, I was actually kind of like trying to compare myself to what I was seeing instead of like just making something that that represented me. I see. I see. Yeah, and so. I got all the way to grad school because I also went to the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign for grad school, right? Okay. In the early 90s. I want to say like from 
93 to 97, I was actually at U of I because I got two masters there, one in art education in 95. And then like, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know you had an art education. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. I got to have an art education master's in there. Um, that's where a lot of my interest in stuff around like curriculum design comes from. Probably. You're really a master then if you got two masters. Yeah, two masters. I do it like a <laughs> meta master. Anyway, You're so a meta meta master. <laughs> 1997 is when I got my uh, MFA in graphic design. But mm-hmm. but then like around the same time, like uh, Scott McCloud's uh, groundbreaking book, uh, Understanding Comics, the uh, the Invisible Art, it came out in like 93 or so, right? So my professors were like, yo, you're interested in comics. Why don't you do something like this? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. let me get it straight. You're going to give me a master's degree and I can make comics and talk about comics and design. I was like, I'm in, right? And then again, I went and I taught graphic, I taught graphic design at Jackson State at first. And I came back to U of I to teach there. That's when I met you. And then, um, yes, yes. And also we met the great Damien Duffy, you know what I'm saying? We right. Were, uh, your, your partner. Like my long-term collaborator. For the last like oh my god almost 20 years now and um i just kind of ended up getting in the comics the long way like we we ended up doing like a lot of really actually honestly for the time like groundbreaking comics and like you know 3d comics and self-publishing and you know it was like a really interesting time and in like just independent comics but so i ended up segueing into making comics on a professional level you know through my interests in it as a scholar. So mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of work as an experimental comics artist and man, Damien was making a lot of comics and just kind of, even like little small vignettes and stuff like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And then we ended up uh, doing, you know, kind of parlaying that into doing the graphic uh, novel adaptation of Octavia Butler's Kindred. And, and that was, that was pretty much it. <laughs> so after right. that, like a lot of things that- Awards kept on coming in after that particular- Awards and other opportunities, you know, because of the, the stature of the book and it, you know, people thought mostly it didn't suck. So it was- a, so, <laughs> Right, yeah. So we ended up doing a second one and, you know, but now it's it's turned into other projects like Daniel, you know, is lettering and writing and actually getting ready to make his own comics and stuff like that too. And, you know, we're both like comic scholars, but also like, you know, uh, comics creators on that level. So that's kind of like how uh, it happened. But at the same time, I was also doing like organizing around comics um, for, you know, for, you know, ethnocentric comic book conventions. Like the, uh, when I was at University of Buffalo, I co- uh, co-founded the uh, the Schomburg uh, Black Comic Book Festival, which mm-hmm. is the largest Afrocentric comic book uh, convention in the country. Maybe in the world, actually. Yeah, I think it might be. And, and that's, <laughs> in the that's world, right? yeah, I think that, um, I think it might be. And yeah. Uh, your work there in just in uh, in general has a big social justice um i mean if not completely <laughs> yeah yeah a lot uh, of around it all together yeah a lot of it was about about you know uh empowering both economically and socially uh creative of color who are working mm-hmm. in that medium because a lot of times you know that is that's not really happening or it's not looked at as being important you know mm. so yeah so that's uh but also, too, it's important for kids to see themselves reflected in the work that they consume, too. Yeah, and for people who aren't big comics aficionados listening, um, that idea of social justice, it's been in Marvel and DC Comics going back a long time, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as, like you said, social justice in comics? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so there's... It actually does. I mean, if you look at, like... Um, May, I guess you would, 
I quote, I go quote unquote mainstream comics because actually yeah. that's not really a thing. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, in the nineteen sixties and seventies, there were people who were trying to create comics that were changing things. Like for mm. instance, I mean, most notably, people like say um, Neil Adams, uh, Denny O'Neill, both of who recently passed away, unfortunately. So for instance, um, the story goes that uh, at DC Comics they were getting ready to create like a um, a new Green Lantern, right? Mm -hmm. And the DC bosses wanted to make another white Green Lantern. And he was going to be like a replace, like a backup Green Lantern for Hal Jordan, which is like probably one of the greatest Green Lanterns ever, right? And mm -hmm. uh, and Neil Adams was like, wait, you know, look, we live in New York City. <laughs> and I mean, just look down at the street. I mean, look how diverse it is out there. You mean to tell me that you're going to find, like we've had a, a really great, First Green Lantern, Alan Scott, who's like, you know, blonde, blonde man, you know, and then blonde white man. And then also like, you know, now we have a brunette white man who's awesome. <laughs> awesome. Big but, diversity there. Right. Exactly. And so <laughs> he was like, well, can't we like, let's mix it up a little bit. So that's how John Stewart came to be, you know? Mm -hmm. So John Stewart is the, the, he's at first is like the, the replacement Green Lantern. So if anything happens to Howard Jordan, then it's his job to, you know, to be Green Lantern. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's like Green Lantern training or whatever. So, so that was, that was pretty, that was pretty controversial. And then also, um, Denny O'Neill and, and, and Neil Adams did a bunch of like covers with uh, Green Lantern and um, Green Arrow called the Hard Traveling Heroes uh, uh, Saga, where basically like Green Lantern was kind of posited as kind of like the, the, because he's kind of like a space cop. So he's kind of like the right wing, more conservative superhero, you know? Mm -hmm. And then Green Lantern is like the more liberal uh, left leaning uh, I see. character, right? And so they would always be in like, you know, um, battles to a certain degree, like on, a, on more of like a, on a philosophical level, but they really were kind of, they were really best friends, you know? So it was interesting because they would, so they literally jumped in a van <laughs> and drove across America <laughs> and just encountered America, you know. And so the idea was to have these heroes interact with the different social issues of the time. You know, it's really groundbreaking. Sometimes yeah. heavy-handed. Some of it, you know, falls flat now. But, you know, at the time, it was like no one had ever seen anything like that in comics, right? Mm -hmm. And, of course, Stan Lee uh, created a character called Albie Harper. And then I think it was like this character actually predates uh, the Falcon, you know, who is um, the first like African American superhero in Marvel. Right, movie. right in Marvel. That's right. And so uh, this character was created to have a conversation about Black life. I mean, you know, so this character uh, premieres in Silver Surfer number five, and the story is called "And Who Shall Born for Him?" Right, and he actually puts Silver Surfer in a space where he's kind of discriminated against, you know, because he's posing as a human, you know. And then also uh, this black man who's a scientist, you know, physicist actually gives his life to save the world, actually. You know, mm. and the surfer marks him as a hero with this cosmic flame on his grave. So it was really, he was created to have a conversation about like, you know, black heroism and black uh, civilians, American civilians, you know? So yeah, yeah but like a lot of this stuff, they were, you know, some of it is... Uh, some of it doesn't hold up as well now because just we have more nuanced conversations about those issues. But we're talking about a comic book that comes out on a monthly basis that right. generally is for like younger readers. And so for them to actually say like, hey, we're going to deal with drug abuse. Uh, we're going to deal with climate change. We're going to deal with, you know, the issues around the indigenous people. Right. So of America. Right. So that's I think that was really cool. <laughs> so. Yeah. And 
obviously I've said this before um, in this program that um, you, you're a, you're an expert in, in storytelling. You do this uh, through comics and design. And I'm curious about your opinion on comics as a, as a medium to tell difficult stories or as a medium to inspire some sort of social action like for instance on climate change yeah no i i think that um comic first of all i had realized like comics as just being used for political issues or social political issues i mean there's a reason why we still have political cartoons right they're so yeah, I mean, yeah. you know they are they speak symbolically you know and a lot mm -hmm. of times people uh People don't like things that are super literal or to be preached at, you know, don't think they're too didactic, right? And so comics are kind of surreal. They're using like sociopolitical pop culture language. They're making references, you know, they do yeah. like issues around equivalence, very, very different than any other, any other like form of mediation, you know, they can be like, oh, well, this thing is like this thing and they juxtapose it <laughs> and yeah. you're like, oh, wow, I never thought of putting those things together, right? So both formally and theoretically, they're just really a powerful medium, right? So that's one thing. So yes, I, I think that the comics are really great for doing issues around social issues um, uh, or, or talk, dealing with social issues. Uh, case in point, like if you look at, say, um, even like the horror comics from the 1950s, right? Like the EC comics. Mm -hmm. So those are all morality tales. They're horror Morality tales? Morality tales. They're all yeah. like terrible, terrible stories <laughs> about <laughs> terrible people getting terrible things happening to them, right? So it's almost- Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, they're all like, you know, uh, this bad person does this bad thing and then something bad happens to them, you know? So it's almost mm -hmm. like, hey, don't do that thing. It doesn't <laughs> happen, right? And so it's all about like people who are philanderers or like the people who are like abusing people to, you know, there's even one, there are some about race, some about like, um, you know, violence against women, all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff, you know? And these these horror comics were like selling like hotcakes <laughs> back in the 1950s. <laughs> Yeah, so stuff like Tales from the Crypt, for instance, which is probably the well, the most well known, you know, TV right. show. And it became an HBO show, right? There you go. It's like an HBO show, but it's you know these comics, right? And so, but they are all morality tales. So if you think about mm. the structure, it's all like, don't do this thing, or something really horrible can happen to you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was really... was the TV show also set up that way? Because yeah. I watched yeah, yeah, yeah. that as a kid. Yeah. yeah. They're always, they're always like justice oriented or revenge oriented, you know, someone does, uh, you know, does some dastardly thing. Right. So, yes, yeah, so I think right there, you're talking about like issues around morality. Right. Mm -hmm. So as far as like climate change, though, there's been some really strong entries, I think, into that, uh, in that arena. I was trying to pull a few together, you know, as far as like, you know, not only just cli-fi stuff, but, you know, comics that are specifically around, um, climate change, you know? Um, yeah, I have one, and it and it was, um, I think it's called Climate Changed. Yes, it's yep. like a huge book, um, graphic novel, and that one was, uh, I think, it's by a French um, comic book artist, and he yeah. was, I think, grappling with his own um, cognitive and psychological uh, reactions to the world changing, and it was really powerful when I read it. So. Um, there's a bunch more and it also sucks. oh good <laughs> yeah actually um, i'm glad actually because i, I yes, think it did a great job i think it did a great job well it's a wonderful medium right so i have a bunch and i can actually put them into the chat for later 
in a oh right well a podcast, I can... they won't they, they won't see it but, no they uh, won't see those but i'll have stuff. them there you go and then i can share them um in our show notes but i can actually like read off a few of these that's another thing you can do can read off amazing i will do that <laughs> all right so audio visual technology is fantastic it's so incredible anyway so like <laughs> Global warming, a global. So you have some about like that are more warnings about global warming, right? Mm -hmm. So there's one called "A World Without Fish," right? World without fish, okay. By Mark Krolansky. Um, There's a cartoon introduction to climate change by Grady Klein. There's also this one called "Loose See the Sees the Light," um, and this one's about like just you know uh, rolling blackouts and you know, things of that nature that are related mm -hmm. to like, the energy crisis, you know. I think the one you're talking about is is it by Felipe Squarzoni? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, I can never pronounce his name. Squarzoni. That's what it looks like. Uh, climate change: a personal journey through the science. Yeah, that's and the of one. course, even even more mainstream, Swamp Thing, like Brian K. Barnes. Oh, um, really? Swamp Thing. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, so, so like, and I have a character that's kind of inspired by Swamp Thing. He's called Green Jack. It actually is kind of like the Green Jack. Body. Green Jack. Yeah. So if you imagine like the Punisher and Swamp Thing put together, ooh, violent. Literally, like. He, yes. Well, it's, it is because it's like he what he does is he targets people who are destroying the environment mm -hmm. and literally turns them into plants to kind of replenish. <laughs> right. Yeah. So what he does is he hits them with a, with a magical plant like, you know, spore that actually right. it changes their DNA and they become like veg vegetables. Like so they have to face the consequences of their own actions as plants. They have to face it. Is that what well, is the thing? So what uh, happened is. The, the idea is that they did replenish this, the, the the landscape. You know, so some, it's so like regeneration there. Yeah, so he's almost like targeting like people who own like massive corporations who are dumping into the water and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, so he but so he goes directly after them. It's kind of like Trash Man by Spain. You remember Trash Man? No. Oh, man, I know Garbage Pail Kids, but they sound no, no, no. There's no Trash Man. Okay, <laughs> this is okay. So Trash Man was violent. <laughs> he was so okay. mad like if the Punisher targeted the one percent. Oh, this so, is from, like the big polluters. Big, he went after the big polluters. He went after big, like rich folk who were like stealing from the, the poor. So that kind of stuff. So he's kind of, yeah, but he's a by Spain writer. Good, <laughs> like trained trash man actually. Um, and then, so so then you also have some books about post environmental disaster. So uh, Nausicaa of the or the Valley of the Wind by Hayao Miyazaki actually. Oh right, yeah, that's true. Um, there's one called Trash to the Great Pacific. It's by Joe Harris. Um, and then also the, there's one about the Dust Bowl, the American, the Great American Dust Bowl by Don Brown. Oh, and yeah. Brian Wood, who was a fantastic writer, actually wrote this book called The Massive um, that is uh, post-apocalyptic. Right. Post, um, and of course, there's A.D. New Orleans, which is probably one of the first ones that I came across. The one by Josh mm -hmm. Hilbert. So right. it, it takes place after this post-Katrina story. So. You, one of the, the, the recent graphic novels you put out was um, Octavia Butler's... Uh, parable of the sower yes and yeah. that's would you describe that as like climate fiction or post oh yes okay yes definitely we when damien and i because damien actually he had the incredible task of actually um uh, you know adapting that and the subsequent uh parable of the talents which we're working on now that's the sequel right the sequel yeah wow is is um so a lot of the things around climate change this is the scary part so not only is it looking at climate, what she's looking at climate change, but she's also looking at sociopolitical issues around, mm -hmm. like, you know, what was what's happening with how um, 
how society and 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 the uh, the wealth gap is dealt with, things of that nature, like the crumbling of society. Like it's almost like Parable of Sore is like the that last gasp before we before we fall into like the road warrior scenario. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> little it's Mad like Max road warrior. It's like it's like yeah. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> it's a little bit of push, and then you're fighting for water in a desert with like machetes. Yeah, anyway, so. Um, <laughs> I would die immediately. I don't think I would be so dead. Anyway, (laughs) I can't. Yeah, I I would not. Yeah, but one particular point was the uh, was the fire tornadoes and stuff that were happening, which we actually have experienced. Right in California, you've seen. Yeah, yeah. Also, but how? And also, like how the heat of the of like fires from like say like I think it was Nevada or something like that affected Mm -hmm. the entire like you know eastern seaboard because what happened was like the soot and stuff that was going to the air was actually affecting climate on the other side. Uh, Yeah, that's right. Crazy, that right? Yeah, so that's I remember that. That's in Parable of the Sword. So she was like, what she, she predicted was it. Was she, she, yeah. I mean, what she did was like she looked at like what was happening in her time. This was written in like early nineties, right? Mm-hmm. And she was, but it was she was talking about what was jumping up in the eighties. So she's looking at like re- the Reaganomics era, you know. So she's critiquing right. like Reaganomics and stuff like that. But then she's kind of looking at it as a as a forecaster, like, okay, well. If these things stay the same, these things will happen, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of like how she came to it. It looks like she has a crystal ball, but she's basically just looking, she's doing like an amount of research that makes her almost a, a freaking expert on the subject, <laughs> you know, because that's how she right. researched. And then she's looking at like things around climate. She's looking at things like, you know, historical issues, things that have happened before, you know, uh, human nature, you know, saying that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And then she came up with that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah well, so it that's sounds like, like a terrifying book. I read it. Actually, terrifying. Okay. It's actually very difficult. She, I mean, she she wrote the type of fiction that actually, like, you know, it felt like it could happen. You know, say her science fiction, like The Handmaid's right. Tale. <laughs> it's yes, exactly. She had, you know, she would put like a little bit of something, like like the main character is set slightly in the future. The mm-hmm. main character has a yeah, birth, kind of a birth defect if you, if you want to call it that um mm-hmm. where she can actually sense other people's uh pain and it's like empathy but, like an empathy it's called hyper empathy yeah. hyper empathy okay so yeah. yeah but anyway so yeah definitely that book does but then there's other stuff like Snowpiercer, actually right uh the leak there's a book called a leak there's one called the rhyme of the modern mariner actually so i guess this is post-apocalyptic as well yeah. they're all in that link i just sent you but um but yeah so that's actually I, I would say Parable of Sword definitely deals with that. We are actually, I'm publishing through Megascope, my, my, my uh, comics line. That I Megascope, it's your, Megascope. through Abrams yes, Publishing. Yes, through Abrams, yeah, Abrams, okay. Megascope. We are doing a version of the Count of Monte Cristo that mm-hmm. is set 400 years after the polar ice caps melt. Oh, so, so climate, <laughs> climate story. Yes, a climate story, and it's set off the coast of Africa, and it's still a pirate story because they, all the power is now like wind and solar power. Mm-hmm. So a lot like, more water, I'm assuming. A lot of more water. It's kind of like Water World. Water bit. World, Kevin Costner, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah, so there's there's things like that that um, are out there, but it's a bunch. You know, it's a bunch of really great books about. Climate well, change. I wonder because some of these sound really depressing. Do you think? Um, do you think those that kind of negativity can still inspire some sort of action or do you think it just makes people want to curl up in a ball and, well, think, you know, <laughs> and cry in their pillow i think people you know people are different you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Are different. i think if you have kids 
and you or you are you are surrounded by the future because kids are like yeah. the future with legs. <laughs> you know, that's, what I'm that's, that's true. what they are. It's like future with souls. <laughs> they have a future. Yeah. So it's like if you have kids and you have or you're surrounded by or you deal with children, then you can't help but be hopeful. You know what I'm saying? I think that's part of it. You know, you might mm-hmm. be terrified, you might be frightened. <laughs> right. You know? On a daily basis, what, you know, one hour to the next, it's, it's like one of the most harrowing things to ever do yourself. <laughs> but it's also one of the most rewarding when they actually start to, you know, become little people who actually mm-hmm. can change the world. So I think that if you are a teacher or a parent, that you that that I think that it will make you very hopeful. The other thing is too is that you know some of these narratives, like for instance, um. You know, the Calamone Crystal book we're doing has a hopeful bend to it. So it's solar punk. Solar punk a lot of times bends hopeful, you know. It actually yeah, tell us it. about solar punk. Yeah, so solar punk is kind of like derived from the term cyberpunk, which of course was coined in what the late 70s, early mm-hmm. the 80s by people like William Gibson and folks at Ag Nature. Um, um, and so basically cyberpunk was dealing with like, oh, wow, we can process all this information. But it was also very... Um, how do you say it? it was also very like concerned with the environment like if you look at something like you know the classic uh, uh um, do androids drink of electric sheep which translated it to the, the movie blade runner you know people have left the planet because we've destroyed it <laughs> you know so there's people there's so the people who can't afford to leave the planet and go off or to you know become like colonists or whatever are stuck on earth you know, earth sucks <laughs> you know that's yeah. how so yeah, so that's actually, and so so solar punk, you know, is using like technology. Because a lot of times, the if you look at these different derivations, they're focusing on like how how energy is 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 forming things, or how like because you know cyber cyberpunk is about electronic, you know, or like electrical yeah. power and being able to project yourself into these different spaces. And it also is very much about like what is humanity and what is life, that kind of thing, you know. And there's also this kind of like tension between, say, like the past, present, and future that are happening, you know, through these class designations. It's very interesting stuff. So it's but hopeful, like, though. It is, you know, what, well, yes, Solar Park is. I'm talking about Cyberpunk. Right. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Cyberpunk is, you know, it's probably a little bit less hopeful, but but I think, <laughs> I think Cyberpunk is, it tends to be a lot more because it, it's kind of like it has like a film noir kind of thing to it as well, which. You know, makes it darker always, almost immediately. It's very ne- nihilistic, you know, nihilistic, you know. So, um, but yeah, but solar punk, because it deals with the sun, you know, I think it, it's sun and solar energy. It actually say, hey, you know, we can save things. We can actually make things better. <clears throat> because of the nature of the power, the natural power of the sun, it tends to kind of like want to see more hopeful. You know, mm-hmm. let's look toward this particular piece, right? So yeah. that that's that's just kind of like some of it. And of course, you have other derivations like steampunk and things, that but they're very retro. Yeah. Retro futurist, so to speak. Yeah, in the first episode, this season, we talked about hope punk. I about to say you read my mind. Hope punk. Yeah, okay. (laughs) We're on the same wavelength again. Yeah. Yeah. So hope. Let me ask you this about hope punk. So is it um, is hope punk like cyber? Like, what kind of technology is it? What's the technology like? You know, hope. It yeah, it it doesn't need to have any technology at all because oh, interesting. One of the great best examples of hope punk is like Lord of the Rings. Okay. All the way back there, because um, was it Frodo? He just doesn't give up, right? right? The fight is worth it, even if you know he burned his feet because he doesn't yes. wear shoes, right? Yeah. <laughs> I never understood. They have some serious calluses, but anyway, yeah, right. they they do big hairy feet, tough feet. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so it doesn't matter about technology with that one, but it sounds like it is for like your examples. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, because the technology is how we understand the world and how we Mm -hmm. do the world. So that's actually why we're in this mess, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Right, because of how we uh, how we've decided to not be stewards. How we've created systems that actually are very like pro-human and not Mm -hmm. about pro-environment. You know what I'm saying? Right. Pro life. That, right. Well, that's life. not a good, that's not necessarily no, not, you know, <laughs> pro life. You know, the systems that we bought into are right. Or artists are their artificial systems. We don't pay attention to the systems that were given to us that we're supposed to take care of. Right. What nature and, provided us, we've taken for granted. Is that you've taken for granted also, you bend them to the whim of individual, like certain individuals profiting and others. Mm, right. Not being able to profit. And so what happens is like everything is fungible. Including the future, right? The future is fungible, right? So you get interesting. Of, and so the thing that I just came up with is the pretty, future is fungible. Fungible, exactly. Because wait, well, it's this thing it's called the futures, the futures industry, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so think about it. Like when people are not, uh, when people are not thinking about the future for who's going to be there, the future generations, they're literally selling off, you know, their lives. You know, people right. are not even born yet. You know, what I'm saying it's really ridiculous. Like, oh so, God, you know, I wish people would see that <laughs> it's i mean they are more people they, they choose not to because you know uh they're greedy and powerful or, they, or they're afraid of like what the alternatives could be you know mm-hmm. um yeah. i don't know but you know i i feel like that all this stuff a lot of the things that we do are not necessary but we've created systems that act that actually like mm-hmm. prop up our lives and make us all in our creature comforts and you know we get used to them and that we don't care because we don't see the people who are suffering, you know, mm-hmm. to, you know what I'm saying? And that's, that's what everybody does. And, you know, even, even though the rest of know this stuff, like, you know, I like my car and I like right. my computer, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We don't think about the systems that are actually like making the things really, really difficult for them. Yeah. I, I remember a friend of mine many years ago said he doesn't think there's ever going to be some sort of revolution in this country because we're too happy with our smart, looking at our smartphones. Right. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a there's a lot of you know there's a lot of um, how I say it like this, you can be honest you can this be association honest. there's a lot of like distance or uh, we, we keep you know everything is centered on itself you know even even yeah. like even the things we call things YouTube MySpace which I guess yeah the, that's a good point you know Facebook me 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 you know me, yeah, exactly. Well, the iPhone, you know what I'm yeah. saying? All, oh, everything's, yeah. about, everything's about like the individual and not about the group, you know? Mm-hmm. So branded things, think about ourselves as rugged individualists, right? Not part of a whole, you know what I'm saying? That's the thing. It's like, you know, if you look at like the ancient systems, they were really about like the tribe, the, you know, the world, right. how we get back after we take, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's not, not it's, I get mine and yeah. bad for you. Exactly. You know, that's a very capitalist mindset, you know. I need yeah, to I like, I like the WeTube or WeFone. We phone, exactly. Right. <laughs> we phone, WeTube. Exactly. That means that it's a community and so it it has to help everyone. Yeah, and the thing is, and you know, we get really addicted to the systems that divide us and stuff. I mean, but you know, I don't I don't know how we how we couldn't be. I mean, we're we're in a country that was essentially Founded on taking things that weren't ours, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Or like, this is my land now. Or like, hey, I know that you are a person, but I shall pretend that you are not, and I shall enslave. <laughs> you. 
You know what I'm saying? And I should create graphic design and things to actually support that idea. Right? And so sell that, them. Yeah, that's right. So we're going to sell the idea of this thing called race, which is science fiction, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, you know, so that's, that's the nature of it. So we, we love fooling ourselves that, you know, <laughs> that this stuff isn't affecting us. Yeah. But my friend, it was 110 degrees in Riverside. I live in the desert. The Riverside is river. That's hot. There is no river, by the way. There used to be. It's dried up. It's dried up. It's gone. You know? Hmm. A lot of fire, a lot, and here's the thing, a lot of fire start there because a lot of the, the homeless population, uh, people who are, are, are the unhoused, you know, start fires accidentally because they're in the river bottom. So fires get out of control. You know, that's, there was a giant fire yesterday. Fire, it's like fire season. We have a fifth season called fire. <laughs> yeah, and, and it seems to be like all year round now. Yeah, it's always something. You know what I'm saying? So it's, I mean, it's fall. Like It's it's like the beginning of September, and it's about 100 degrees right now. It shouldn't so be that hot. It should not be that hot. But then the other side, like where I'm from in Mississippi, we just had massive floods, 15 feet, 15 inches of, of, of rain, which decimated the, uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, the already rickety, uh, infrastructure, you know, of Jackson, Mississippi, the capital of Mississippi. So people were without water and all kinds. Yeah, of and they're still without water. And some people, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, yes, still a lot of people are still like without water. You know, so is your family okay in the Jackson area? Yeah, from what I, from what I could, you know, my family and friends uh, seem to be fine. You know, they either they either their water got turned off temporarily and it's back on, or oh, good. Missed, but most of yeah, everyone that I talked to, like, no one's really experienced anything. It was super adverse, you know. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them live in the suburbs or live in other parts of Mississippi and stuff like that, too. So then we're talking about this. The water issues are really in the city of Jackson, you know. And so white flight happened there a long time ago. So there's a lot of growth around Jackson, yeah. you know. But um, the infrastructure of the city is decimated because the tax base left, you see what I'm saying. So, yeah, just like what's happening, you know, other other cities around to us. fund public utilities like in flint and yeah yes exactly i mean it's kind of like the, it's becoming the flint of the south essentially well we don't even need to write and draw comics about this because we can just turn on the news or look out your window and yeah. it's happening i mean yes that fire and we can see the smoke in the, in the mountains you know say yeah and the fact it hasn't rained here in days they have like weeks you know so it's you know it's terrible it's terrible and I don't know. I mean, as far as like being, I think, I think it depends again, back to your other question, like what kind of mentality you have. I mean, we have to fight for the future. Mm-hmm. So, in whatever way you can, it doesn't necessarily mean like taking to the streets, but it also means like, you know, doing your part and teaching other people about it or telling stories about it and trying to fix things. You know? Yeah. In the first episode of the second season, I talked to a paleoecologist, uh, Jacqueline Gill, and she said, um, that we need to fight for every fraction of a degree. Yes. That's how important, you know, it is to the future. Yes. That 0.2 degree increase could be bye-bye Tampa, right? That's how important it is. And so you're really good at branding, John. I remember working with you. Am I? Yes, like coming up with uh, stories around something um the class we the ethics class we created um the administrations said um you need to call it ethics of a designer in a global economy and i was like no one's going to sign up for that class 
mm-hmm. and then you say call it edge yeah. right yeah. you branded yeah. it you know right. you took it made it an initialism no an acronym you made acronym. it an acronym yeah. right yeah. and so with that in mind i'm wondering if thinking about um how climate action how climate change is currently branded what could we do differently to in- include more more voices and um i guess more more action around it you know it's funny because <clears throat> i was thinking about it because your your background is also like um industrial design too right which is very yeah much, yeah i have a degree very much in- about like experience you know <laughs> so it's about like how people experience artifacts and how those artifacts represent con- connections to their their world so to speak and how we move through the world so to your point earlier you know i think a lot of the i think we've been using fear as the way to market yes like we're gonna die you know <laughs> it's right. like you know don't even try it's too late you know <laughs> and i think we need to actually change that because people the affect that people are coming away from it. It's all about app design. Is all, I mean, when you talk about storytelling and you talk about designer storytelling, the final thing is affect. Like how that object or that, that experience makes you feel when you leave, right? Or the thing that you leave, what mm. does it feel like, you know? And if you're scaring the hell out of people, <laughs> then yeah. and people don't want to interact with that, you know? So maybe we should go to Hope Funky, Punky kind of way, right? Where you Solar Punk, Hope Punk. punk. Yeah, so like, <laughs> hey, you know, we're talking about the future. And so I would say, like, try to figure out ways to kind of, you know, push the narrative towards hope, towards we can still do this. Like, we have to work together. There's other ways that are working. We got to figure it out, you know, mm-hmm. as a world, actually. It's not going to just take our country. It's going to be the world. Even though, like, we put a lot of soot and nastiness into the world, you know, shame on us. Yeah. God knows what we've done to the oceans, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, I, yeah. I mean, my, you know, a lot of times, my, and that's difficult for me because I'm, I'm like, I usually go with the oh, like, you know, nature's gonna get you punishment. If I, you know what I'm <laughs> right. Who is who is your uh, swamp thing? Uh, like, oh yeah, and Green Jack. Green Jack. Yeah. Well, so, Green Jack's hopeful though. You know, oh, he Green Jack. Yeah. He doesn't kill people. He just says, "All right, well, you've done this much damage, and you know, and maybe he's saying maybe maybe it's only a temporary. I didn't think about that. Maybe See, so you're not so negative then. Green Jack is also negative. Yeah, Green Jack actually doesn't kill people. He turns them into plants so they can replenish yeah. them. You know, and maybe maybe you know later on they can get the chance to change back into human baby. What about that? I didn't think about that. Maybe mm. that happens. Can you imagine being a tree for hundred years and be like, oh God, that was difficult, and he changes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you've you know become a saying? human again, and then you realize your mistakes. Yes, exactly. So maybe like, or not. I don't know. We'll see. Right. People are really hard headed. You know, that's the other thing. We're so stubborn. <laughs> and we're very nihilistic. Like, ah, damn. So I think what we do is try to change. People like really, really like think they're so smart and they're really like sarcastic and like, well, you know, why should I care? You know, blah blah blah. Right. It's like no, because the thing is that the people people don't care about things until it's at their doorstep, and that's yeah. the truth. People, people don't care, and, and, and that's that's the shame. I, I don't say that they're not good people, but they're really just really unaffected. We're so busy with our day to day lives that, I mean, like for instance, the war on drugs, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, when, Reagan, Reagan era, yeah. So when <clears throat> when 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 black people were like killing each other, you know, left and right, and 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 mess and destroying families and being put in prison forever, you know, for smaller offenses, they you know they didn't care. So we have Tommy and, and, and uh, you know, and Daphne in the suburbs getting 
you know, become like Tommy and Daphne. <laughs> then it becomes like a serious. Oh my God, it's an epidemic! <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. Oh my God, like for instance, I mean, now when you look at like the opioid crisis, right? Opi- Thank you, you read my mind. Look at the opioid crisis. Yeah. Where it's a lot more like lower and working class white people, and now you have like, oh, you're sick. You know, oh, we got to fund it. It's totally shifted, right? And I'm saying, and I'm, not to be like that, but it's quite obvious if you look at like, you know, the idea of like, you know, black kids in the in the in the, in the, the inner city being called super predators and you know, this type of thing, right. right? So that's some really tripped out branding, right? And so now we have to figure out ways to make everybody care about climate change, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And some and that that is about the narrative. I mean, so yeah, it's going to affect you. I mean, that that you're right. People are focused on themselves they're in their own head so they realize hey i can't do this anymore then i don't know maybe maybe that's all they need to change something yeah yeah you ever ever seen that that movie traffic yeah with michael douglas remember he was like the czar of like drug you know Mm -hmm. uh the drug war drugs in america and stuff and then you know, he was kind of like not really paying attention to his kids. And when his daughter gets hooked on crack, he's like, yo, this is a problem. And then he, and then, <laughs> yeah. And then what happens is he really doesn't pay attention to the job anymore. He focuses on his family, he focuses mm-hmm. on everybody else. And so it's a really interesting morality tale. You know, it's a great film, you know. Yeah. But, you know, I think that's what needs to happen. You know, like people need to, have, need to wake up, but people really, they're not going to see it. Like until you are affected by it, you know, directly, or you know, someone's affected by it, it's going to be really hard for you to understand like how bad it is. You know, mm-hmm. you know, someone who was very successful, who becomes part of the, 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 uh, the homeless population, right? Stuff like that. You know, someone who actually like has, you know, a particular ailment or um, some type of, uh, of, of, of affliction or what have you. When it's personal, you know, that's when it, that's when stuff changes. Now, you can't get more personal than the damn weather. <laughs> you know, right, like, right. I'm like, everybody's, go, everybody's hot outside, right You know, it's too hot or... Everybody's hot right now. So it's like, you know, this is a problem. People, I mean, it's flooding. It's all kinds of wild stuff jumping off. Can you not see this? Do you not care? Like, mm-hmm. neighbor's house is on fire, which means that your house could catch on fire. Right. Really easily, right. you know. So, you know, anyway. So we're Sorry. both educators then, yes. and <laughs> our focus is on our students, right? This another this next generation, and we want them to care. We want them to understand that, unfortunately, uh, it's their fight, mainly their fight. But yeah. um, and so, my last question for you, John, because we're running out of time, is wow. that with that in mind. Um, what kind of, what do you do in your classes or what would you like to do in your classes to help people understand things that they haven't experienced yet so that maybe they don't have to feel the repercussions of them in the future, right? Through <clears throat> Well, I mean, I teach to transgress all the time. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, well, this is the part where you can educate yourself differently as far as like what ha- what pe- what has gone on historically. And uh, I try to be really frank and honest with my students about what's mm-hmm. well, you know, and I try to be objective, but I say, Hey, this is how I feel about things. This, this is, a, this is information that is true. You know, yeah. um, I need to, you know, engage with it, you know, so that kind of thing. So we have a lot of discussions around, I mean, essentially even if my, my even if my class is large, you know, it's like a seminar, <laughs> you know, 
It's like, okay, what's your idea? A lot of times students aren't used to talking about their ideas because, you know, a lot of times we're coming from this kind of like show approved dynamic. It's like, oh, here's a test. Take this test kind of thing. Right. But the test is your opinion. How about that? They're like, I don't understand. It's like, <laughs> you know? And, and so I'm trying to like really focus on critical thinking and critical making. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I think uh, that's why Afrofuturism, that's what I think about Afrofuturism actually too, is a critical making endeavor. You know, and it's really centered around Afrocentric narratives, you know, and how the how we use the speculative to kind of interrogate like present time, but through the lens of like science fiction, fantasy, and all of that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So the classes I teach are like on Afrofuturism and like our class on comics. But I'm always putting in things that are challenging, like, you know, to them to think about as far as like how we see ourselves, how we see each other, you know. Yeah. So that's so things like really be a uh, curator- it's a curatorial endeavor. Like you notice when you're writing a, a syllabus, you're curating an experience for your students. That's you know? true. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's uh, you try to have an end goal that relates to the, to the subject. So they, they walk away with not like and just an A. Hopefully they'll all get A's, right? <laughs> right. If you want them to walk away with like a, a different mindset and epistemology and also this massively curable uh, curiosity, you know, Mm, I like that. Really, really curious. I want you to be like insanely curious from now on, right? So, like, I can't, I want to learn everything. So, I think Mm -hmm. that the more you learn about the world, the more you want to understand it, the more you want to interact with it. So, that's that's my goal when I'm teaching a class, you know? So, um, because I do, I do love, I love teaching. It's like, it's probably like, it's probably one of the things I'm probably best suited to, you know? Yeah. Regardless of what subject, you know, because I teach, I don't even teach design anymore. I'm right. some designer in my heart, you know, <laughs> but now I'm like, you know, I'm in a media studies program. We're looking at like the things that, that designers create sometimes, right? <laughs> you yeah. Know? So okay, that, you're, you're still a design critic. I'm a design critic. Well, design theorist, you know, and, uh, and I think like colleagues saying like things around science fiction horror, like they use the same type of symbols that designers use, you know, same kind of language, you know, but it, it's, I think it's this, this, uh, dispelled and, and put out differently. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Disseminated differently. So if someone's listening and they uh, want to maybe pick up the idea of comics and storytelling and, and their own personal work or in their classes, what would you recommend them to do if they oh, wanted man. to get into it? Well, first of all, I think you should start with, uh, books like um, uh, Sequential Artist Storytelling, I think it's called by uh, Will Eisner, you know. Okay. But also like another book, of course, Scott McCloud's. Well, his whole, actually his his first and his second books, I think are his strongest ones. I mean, Scott like, McCloud's Understanding Comics. Understanding Comics and Making Comics. You know, making he's Comics. He's truly a master of. He uh, is. I, we, I met him, he was standing at your desk one time. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that was him. That's how we I met. I felt really um, stupid. That's how he would be like that. You know, that's how, that's how uh, I met Damien actually because of his, Scott McCloud's first business because he came twice to UI. Um, so then another book that I love is, is, uh, is, is, um, is I think it's called Design, is a comic book design, actually. It's mm-hmm. one of the only books that deal directly with the idea of like design and storytelling, you know? Yeah. There's a bunch of really great books out there now. And also, if you want to think about writing comics, Brian, I think Brian Michael Bendis' book on comics writing is really good. Brian Michael Bendis. Oh, I think it's called Word with Pick, you know, 
or some pictures of things in there, but it just the Brian Michael Bendis. Just just look him up. Just look it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of possibilities with comics to talk about uh, all these interconnected issues. Yeah. The climate and um, to to any ages. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. And so, and in fact, it's got me thinking about ways that I can implement even more of it in my stories now. You know, mm-hmm. because you know, there's there's a bunch of horror movies that deal with like climate change and stuff too. Like for instance, there's one called The Bay. You know, well, it's it's about like this wildlife. Uh, I think because of the water, the pH uh, of the water has changed, and so it's woken up these like weird like insects and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. There's another one called <laughs> that, that, that sounds that, plausible. That's what I'm saying. It's a lot of plausibility. And actually, you know, I think there's some really good, it's like climate change. It's like, for instance, um, or like things about how we mess up the forest or whatever, like uh, that episode of the X-Files with those oh, yeah. the way the trees. Right. Oh, no, you should leave those alone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, leave them alone. We're, we're both you know? X-Files, what do you call it, fans? Or is there another yes. term for X-Files fans? We're just some X-Files, P-H-I-L-E. Oh, that's right. We love the X-Files. Okay. Right? Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> By the way, Abrams has a fantastic X-Files book that you should have in your collection. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And right. so, John, we're we're out of time, but I want to um give you opportunity to, to tell all of us where we can find out more about you on the interwebs or in print. Okay. You're, you're oh, everywhere. Yeah, I'm a, I'm doing a lot of things. So so probably the best place to start is like my website, John Jennings Studio. And a single John Jennings Studio, all one word. Um, but you can find me on all social media. Like, so John Jennings Art is my Instagram handle, and also J.I. Jennings uh, on, um, or, uh, on Twitter. You know, those are good places to find me. But as far as like books, I mean, we got the, the Kindred Adaptation, uh, the, uh, Bluehead Mojo, which is my own graphic novel about the Rose Area, uh, Box of Bones, which is a horror anthology through those area. Also, Parable of the Sword, and I do my friend Damien, our friend Damien Duffy. That's right. After the Rain, which is an adaptation of Nadia uh, Corafor's short story. Um, I've Road. read that. It was really good. Thank you very much. It was nominated mm-hmm. for a Locust Award and for Eisman. So I hope you win. We did not. It's cool. No. <laughs> <laughs> we did You're not. a winner to me. I appreciate that. No, it's seriously great. That, like when people say it's like it's an honor to be nominated, I mean, we're talking about like thousands of books that could have been. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah. So that's that's it. That's me. So you're, well, you're also on television, like we mentioned. Um, oh yeah, that's right. Go Thank to you. Disney Plus if you're I'm a subscriber. Terrible. Yes. Yeah. It's on six one six. Is that what it was called? Um. What What's the yeah, documentary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marvel six one six. Yeah, I'm in episode three, I think. And then there's also this thing called uh, Behind the Mask, which deals with like representation in comics. That's on there. It's a pretty cool documentary. Uh, but tomorrow, actually, you know, but it doesn't matter because it's going to be. People know. Right, <laughs> when this so comes out, you can when find it. it comes out, by the time this comes out, then, you know, there's a star, there's this docu- docu-series called 101 Best Horror Moments, you know, it's on Shudder. You know, the yeah, this, Shutter. the Horror Network, Shudder. Horror Network, yeah. So I'll be one of the talking heads. And Excellent. my head will attach to my body by this time. <laughs> I hope so. Just my head. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Well, John, thanks. Thanks so much for uh, talking uh, with me today. It's been way too long and um, we'll have to get together soon. Yeah. Well, I'll see you guys soon, right? So in the fall. Yeah. I mean, it's spring. So yeah. coming to campus in spring. Yes. All right. It's good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Take care. All right. Bye bye.
This podcast is written, produced, and engineered by me. Designed by Bashul Rashik and Mark O'Brien. With social media strategy by Michelle Wynn. Music by Casual Motive. Next time on Climify. Well, I know we just took a mid-season break and we're back to a regular weekly episode, but life is not always a straight pass forward. I will be speaking next week at the Cumulus 2022 Design for Adaption Conference in Detroit, Michigan, about my work in life-centered systems thinking. So there will be no episode next week, but we'll return the following week with more episodes featuring a climate storyteller, current design students, and an oceanographer. Until then. Thanks for listening to Climify. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To catch all the latest on Climify, you can follow us on Instagram at Climify Podcast. Climify is part of Climate Designers. Learn more at climatedesigners.org slash edu.